Matters. Information, interviews, debates, and discussion, plus an occasional rant with Bob Slider behind the board. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Coming through the door I think we've met somewhere before Hello, love Howdy! Hello! Good morning! Hello, love Hello there Where in the world have you been so long? I missed you so since you've been gone Hello, love It's almost a love song Hello, love Make yourself feel right at home I hope you plan on staying long. Come, Come on along. in, sit down, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a Come bottle of water or whatever it is you're drinking this morning. I guess we, we're serving up sandwiches, too. Is that right? We, uh, General Manager Kayleen Clough had a, a little luncheon uh, yesterday here at the Watchdog Studios for our dear friend Lola Miller. Yesterday was Lola's first day back. Lola lost her cinder. Cinder. Linda, <laughs> uh, let me start again. Lola lost her sister, Linda, uh, this past week, and uh, it was her first day back, so it was nice to get together. Heavenly ham. They don't call it that now. What they, what, oh, what? they don't? I, I, it's ham something. Okay. But uh, there was, was some, heavenly. and it was heavenly, and it was great, and better than yet, it, there was left some over. left. Yeah, so that's what Howard's talking about. <laughs> You're having a little ham sandwich this morning? Having a ham on a croissant, I'm going to tell you, that was, a, that was one of the best ham sandwiches I've had in a long time yesterday here. I did not get one this morning because i got to go to the dentist, and the last thing I want is a, is a croissant and ham stuck in my teeth when I go. They say, "What? What is this you got in there? <laughs> What's that, Howard?" <laughs> and it's a morning. It's an early morning. Uh, it's, it, as soon as I get off the air, is the dentist appointment. I don't. I'm saying things like, uh, "What? You kidding me? You already ate a ham sandwich before you even came here." So I will be a little more careful about that. Uh, but I'm telling you, it looks really good. And boy, was it good yesterday. Uh, Eight ten of the morning here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Thirty degrees, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. Twenty nine at the Highlands. Thirty two. In Elm Grove and 30 degrees here at the Watchdog Radio Network Studios. We're looking for a mostly cloudy day today. Might see a little bit of sun peeking in and out throughout the day. Daytime high, 40, 42 or so. Tomorrow, sunny and a high around 40. The good news is we missed that wintry mix they had talked about for today. It has gone further to the north and hit and to the east and hitting places like New York City, which is getting socked in apparently. Uh, I heard the report this morning said that it could be the worst snowstorm New York City has had in a long, long time. So uh, we, we missed it, and that's good. And it looks like we're not going to have too much of a problem all week long, maybe a little bit of rain, snow coming in on Thursday, but it's not going to be any uh, big deal. Coming up in the next half hour of the show, we'll talk with federal prosecutor Bill Elenfeld. Big story developed yesterday that the uh, head of Roxby Development has pled guilty in federal court uh, Jeffrey Morris pled guilty. Federal prosecutor Bill, Bill Elenfeld comes in to talk to us about that. And in the 9 o'clock hour, Sean McC uh, McCartney, who produces a YouTube series about unsolved crimes in West Virginia, is in. We'll talk to him about that show and some of his favorite cases and some of Bob's favorite cases. You've watched the whole series, is that right? And it's a problem because now they're all kind of like uh, formed in or together. They're I can't all... remember because they're, they're, they're similar. It's a missing person and then a murder and then it's unsolved. The, uh, yesterday, the uh, the case of Mary Jane Childers from Shelby, Ohio, 
solved 45 years after the fact. It was one of the ones that Deshaun had profiled in Mysterious WV. So he's with us in the next hour of the show. It's 8-12 in the morning here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Coming up next, our friend Tom Scateri, the Poet Pentagon reporter, and I will talk about a couple of matters that are pending in the nation's capital and across the seas. Why? Just think about it. Why is the number one selling brand of chainsaws not sold at Lowe's or the Home Depot? We can give you over 10,000 reasons. That's how many authorized local steel dealers you can find across the country. Visit one and you'll find a range of dependable gas and battery powered tools from trimmers to blowers. And you'll find service from experienced professionals. Real steel. Find yours at steelusa.com. Lowe's and Home Depot are trademarks of their respective companies. Need a new suit? Looking for a good book? Searching for a unique gift? The Ohio Valley's premier shopping choice is the Highlands. Find jewelry, hot new tech, arts and crafts, over two dozen stores to visit. From Walmart and Target to Cabela's, Menards, Kohl's, and Old Navy. Plan a day out of shopping, dining, and entertainment at the Highlands. At the top of the hill off I-70. See it all online at hitthehighlands.com. I was the first in my family to go to college. I was looking to switch careers. I wanted the highest quality, but most affordable option for a degree. No matter where you are in life, West Virginia Northern Community College can make your dream of a college degree a reality. With over half of our students being first-generation college students and free tuition for many programs, Northern is the right choice for you. I can go to college. West Virginia Northern Community College. You belong here. Broadcasting from the Ohio Valley, talking about the Ohio Valley. We're live and local. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe, brought to you by WVU Medicine. It's 8.14 in the morning on the Watchdog Morning Show. Uh, let's see, off the uh, Frio Stack Auction Service text line, the weather snob checks in. Go figure, the weather experts missed another one. Man, he never lets me, lets up on it, does he? He always gives me the text there on, on when the weather people are wrong, I hear about it from the weather snob. Uh, the Poetry Man and the Pentagon Reporter together, Tom Scateri. Good morning, Tom. Hey, happy Tuesday. Good morning. Happy a day before Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's my daughter's 24th birthday, so I'll cheat and give her a shout-out to my daughter, Gabriella. All right, very good. Good morning, or good morning and happy birthday. Gabriella, is that, did I have it right? That's correct, yeah. All right. She's her birthday is today, or her, birth, her birthday is today, today, or is Valentine's Day? Today. It's today, today. yeah. She, she was born about 10, 15 p.m. on February 13th, so almost a Valentine's Day baby, but not quite. Not, not quite, not quite. Tom, a number of things I want to get into today, but let me start okay. with... This is not like top of the news per se, but I did get a chuckle. Apparently, you um, you 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 prickled up the uh, press spokesperson this week. Uh, they were not happy with one of the yeah. questions you asked. It was last Thursday at the briefing. Uh, this is General Ryder, and, and he, uh, he he does a he does a lot of evasiveness to answers. And you know, reporters are a little unhappy with him these days because of the the cover up when Secretary Austin was in the hospital a while ago. And of course, he's back in now today, uh, but. So I uh, uh, I listened carefully, Howard. I, my my mo at these briefings when I covered Secretary Rumsfeld was always to listen carefully to what he said. And if I felt like asking a question, I usually asked it about two thirds of the way through after he's spoken because I want to talk about 
what he says at the briefing to avoid the idea that you've misquoted me, which is a common thing that the Pentagon folks say. Oh, you misquoted me. You've taken it out of context. So uh, since the Ukraine contact group was founded, other than the first week, every time they've announced the meeting, they say, and more than 50 nations will be participating. More than more 50. Than, more, more than, than more 50. More than 50. So you could, it could be 51, it could be 58, but more than. Okay, I'm not going to hold them to a number, but more than. So last Thursday, in his opening sort of run-through of events before we do Q&A, General Ryder said the meeting's going to be next week, meaning today, uh, tomorrow, and there will be less than 50 nations participating. Oh, okay. Now, there might be a legitimate reason. You know, some people may not be able to make it or whatever. So when I, you know, about two-thirds of the way through, and he called on me, and I, I mentioned, you know, you basically said all the other times, more than 50 nations, and this, this morning, you know, you just said less than, does that indicate a drop-off in support? I don't think that was an unfair question, you know. But before I did it, I went through to make sure <laughs> that I was correct. You, you know, like you did your homework. You, you did your homework. You did your homework, you know, because you, you, sometimes I, I could have been wrong. I thought that was the case, but I said, well, you know, let me check before I ask the question because that's what reporters are supposed to do. And he basically said, well, uh, it doesn't indicate a drop-off. So he answered my question. I'm not sure how it doesn't. If it's more than the less than. But then he quickly said, but, you know, I, I, I urge you or something like that to go back and look to see because I think I've said it. And, I, and he stopped, and I said, well, I thought you would say that to me, and I want you to know I, I did that already. <laughs> and he just jumped on me. Oh, so it was a setup. So he accused me of setting him up, and he's, I'm glad I can entertain you. And you know, people are like, could have laughed about it. And afterwards, uh, you know, afterwards, a couple of my colleagues came up to me and said, does he have, why does he have it in for you? And I said, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that was such an awful question. Now, I'm not looking for sympathy here because I'm quite happy with what I did. You know, as you saw immediately, I did my homework first before I asked the question. It, it doesn't seem worthy of um, being called a gotcha question. You, you, no, no, it wasn't you, a gotcha question. You used you, the previous phrasing had been more than fifty. The current phrasing is uh, nearly fifty or less than fifty. Less than. So mm -hmm. uh, that's you know it may only be one or two. Maybe more than fifty is fifty-one, and less than fifty is forty-nine. But nonetheless, there is a difference. Where's the difference? Fair question. I don't think it's a gotcha and again, question. And again, no, and again, Howard, I think that, you know, it could have been, a, well, you know, a couple people can't make it this time. Right. That's simple. It could be as simple as, okay, and it clears up. But, you know, in context, also, think of a little larger context. Here we are in the United States struggling to pass aid for Ukraine, you know, which is support for Ukraine. Maybe some other countries are doing the same thing, and they're not showing up because of these things. There might be, you know, larger, more important reasons for the drop-off, if there is one. Anyway. That just kind of that was a very good example of what we go through. Uh, not that it's such an onerous job, you know, but you know the kind of things you deal with, as opposed to straightforward. Oh no, it was just you know I, I made a mistake in my speech, or and you know we're all pretty good about this stuff. You know, people are human. We're not going to hold you to the fact that. You, but words are important when you're a spokesperson. But it just seems like such a that's your job. It seems like <laughs> such a silly thing to take a stand on. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Like you said, yeah. could it? I'm sure there. I'm sure there's a reason. Well, maybe not. I mean, maybe it does show lack of support. But more likely, it's uh, Sammy had the flu and uh, somebody uh, missed a plane. Well, here's a good here's a good example. You know, Secretary Austin's in the hospital now. He was to attend the meeting. Now he is not going to attend the meeting. Now someone will attend in his place, so the United States will be there. But you know, maybe something like that happened that somebody at the last minute cannot attend because of another commitment.
Well, well Tom, I'm, I'm just glad we can entertain you. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a great you. line. Let's talk about that. Austin is back in the hospital, but I guess yes. this time he chose to tell the president, huh? They were, uh, he did, he, and the, the Pentagon, uh, you know, taken to the woodshed, uh, has been uh, diligent in letting us and the public know, and, and they, they put out a, three releases on Sunday when he went in and this and that, and then about the transfer of power, and then the hospital has put out statements regarding his his sector, Austin's condition. And in each of the statements from the Pentagon, they note how they have informed the White House and members of Congress as well, the appropriate members of Congress, and, you know, others in national security apparatus. So they've, if anything, they've learned a lesson on that. Now, this is a, a somewhat, this is not a, a major uh, incident that they might think requires secrecy. So we'll see the next test. You know, at the same press conference where we just discussed earlier, Gordon Lubov of the Wall Street Journal, uh, there's an internal report going on in the Pentagon about what happened, you know, why there was this non-communication by Secretary Austin. And Gordon asked uh, my, General uh, Myers about, uh, General Ryder, excuse me, about, uh, uh, you know, how can we know that it's going to come out and people basically honest and he really led on him because i don't you i don't like to be accused of lying and basically well you know you guys are the one who did it the last time <laughs> but you did so it's, yeah, yeah exactly so come on so I, the stage was already set you know and i was actually heard that i thought oh boy this is going to be bad for the questioners after gordon because he's already in a bad mood <laughs> tom i am by no means a medical anything so I, yeah. i'm a layman talking about it but the fact that he's back in the hospital again after having, if I remember the, the sequence of events, he had gone into the hospital once, they sent him home, then he went back and he had an extended stay the last time. Now he's back again. Does this indicate a more serious problem than maybe we think? I think I think there's something else going on. That's just my instincts as a reporter for many years. To, to recap quickly for listeners, he went into the hospital in December to, to, to have his, his prostate removed because uh, he has prostate cancer. And, uh, they, and he was released the next day, which is not an unusual occurrence. Right. And then he went back in at the beginning of January because he was having urinary infections and complications from that procedure. Um, so he was being treated for complications from that procedure, and he was in about a week or so then in intensive care. That means, you know, they're monitoring and all that. Uh, he didn't go under an anesthesia that second visit. He did, of course, when he removed his prostate. Now, this one is for a, some kind of bladder issue which may or may not be related to the infection that he had. This is where there's not clarity. And to be honest with you, we don't really need that much clarity right. at this point. You know, there is a privacy uh, factor involved here. But he did go under again for non-surgical treatment. And he transferred his power of, you know, powers to the Deputy Defense Secretary Hicks. So, and she still has it as, as of today, I believe. Um, so there's obviously he's having some complications. And there might be something else going on in there that they're not talking about or maybe they're not sure yet to talk about. I'm trying to give them all the benefit of the doubt here, even despite what happened, you know, in the previous uh, hospitalizations. But it's not a good look. It's not a good sign when, you know, because you, you, you can't really fully recover if you keep going into the hospital for other ailments. And they made it clear, well, to read that this wasn't necessarily related to his cancer and the prognosis is still very good on that, which is, of course, the most important thing. And, and I don't mean to be in any way a fear monger. It just seems to me that this is, 
if I had a friend who had been in the hospital uh, three separate times, you know, three separate a, a month, uh, would, a month uh, basically, yeah, yeah, I would, I would, you know, I would, I would be concerned. Let's put it that way. So we'll have to wait and see he, what he happens. Did, he did come to the press room, you know, about a week or so ago and had a press briefing for us, and he looked okay. He was he is, was having problems with his leg, which he admitted, you know, there's something wrong now with his leg. Whether that was, you know, just because of being in bed for a week in the hospital, he he's a big guy, you know. And uh, he came down from his office on the third floor to the briefing room on the second floor, you know, in a golf cart. And uh, you know, there was some there was some concern about him. He looked okay then, you know, but he he didn't he hasn't looked good in some photos. Tom, going back to the dust up you had with General Ryder, uh, one of our texters says, "Ask your guy. That's you. You're my guy." Okay. Ask your guy if, if he had these issues under the Trump administration, or is this just the Biden administration's issue of transparency? Very good question. Uh, the, the, I will say this: that under the at the waning years and months of the Trump administration, we didn't have any briefings at all. So I want to, you know, the Biden administration has given us first with John Kirby, who's now at the White House, and now with Ryder and others. We get briefings almost every week, two or three times a week, you know, general briefings like this. And we also get specific briefings on issues uh, like, for example, uh, when the sexual harassment report would come out or a suicide report would come out. We'll have a briefing just on that subject. So I, I want, it's, I, despite, you know, this nonsense that in, we engaged in last Thursday, we actually had a chance to engage in nonsense which wasn't available when Trump was president, but particularly in the in the last after Mattis left as press secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, as defense secretary. As secretary, yeah. His press his press person left at the same time, and when she left, there was a big drop off after that on regular press briefings. Period. All right. Thanks to our texter at three zero four two one four sixteen hundred eight twenty six. Talking to Tom Scateri this morning. Tom, uh, speaking of Donald Trump. He created a bit of an international uh, furor this week when he essentially said that, um, well, two things, all about NATO. He said that if NATO allies don't pay up, uh, he would not support them, even though the treaty says we should. Um, And then he took it one step further and said, and if Russia wants to go after him, then that's their business. Incredible to hear that from anyone who had been president of the United States and wants to be president again from a military perspective. Uh, you know, that was a, I don't mean to be funny, it was a shot across the bow that really rattled many Europeans because it raised the larger issue of, well, and not just in Europe, but also other allies, well, can we depend on the United States in the future to honor its commitments with us? Well, now, people can, the, people the, can the answer clearly is no if Donald Trump is the president. That would be, that would be the presumption, correct. Now, people can, I think it's a fair debate whether or not we should be in NATO. I mean, you know, I, I have my thoughts on it, but people can debate those positions. But we're in NATO right now, and I guess it comes down to what do you see as the threat. So the German Chancellor Schultz yesterday, he he ignored, he did a, you know groundbreaking for a new munitions factory in Germany. And he also met in, in Berlin then with the Polish Prime Minister, the new one, Donald Tusk. And they both were adamant about, you know, NATO, it's guarantee of mutual assistance. Any suggestion it isn't is irresponsible and dangerous and solely in the interest of Russia. This is Germany and Polish leaders saying this, and that's exactly the case. Um, you know, if you're encouraging Russia to go ahead and attack country A because it hasn't done 2% of its GNP for defense, 
that's incredible to hear any U.S. president say that to any about any country attacking an ally. And there's one more thing. Here's how numbers are funny, Howard. That 2% of the GNP, it's pretty obvious. You know, we spend more than 2% on ours, and some of the smaller countries do. Other nations do not, but it, and it, they should. And, and, you know, Trump was correct when he said they should meet their obligations to spend it. This is when he was president. But then, of course, as Trump often does, he goes a lot further down the road that, than needed to be. Um, but other countries do things beyond, outside of the 2%, and, you know, based on their size. You know, so I'm, I think that most of these countries now are gearing up to do 2%. Many have hit them. Some have not. There's 31 members now in NATO, and, and you know, maybe half of them are there. It's not where you want to be. But the, the fact that Russia invaded Ukraine has really galvanized a lot of countries to get going. Uh, an analyst in Germany was saying yesterday, he was asked during his groundbreaking ceremony, how long uh, would it take Germany to rearm where it feels like it could, could successfully defend itself and, against Russia? And he said four years at the minimum, ten years to be sure. Yeah. So think about that. Meanwhile, Russia is showing no signs of letting up on their attacks in Ukraine. No, they're not. And the Ukrainians are running out of ammunition and other type of equipment. Now, the House, I'm sorry, the Senate early this morning, about 5.15 our time, did pass the bill with money for Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel, and others. Um, now, of course, it, we'll see what happens in the House. Uh, but Russia's employing a, a simple, you know, tactic. They they have all these conscripts or volunteers, you know, from the prisons. They just send them over the front line into the Ukrainian gunfire as cannon fodder to use up the Ukrainian ammunition. I mean, that's Putin's, you know, but it, it's incredible he does that and he can sort of get away with it. And that's, but it's effective in the sense that it's drawing down the Ukrainians' ammunition supplies. Let me stick with Trump for one last story. Um, okay. Trump has now asked the Supreme Court to uh, intervene, or not to intervene, but to rule on the federal p- appeals court ruling that he does not have any presidential immunity, uh, particularly involving the January 6th case. Um, trying to move that quickly to the Supreme Court, hoping he can get, because that federal appeals ruling was very much against him, and, and the court, the, the judge's ruling, the way they wrote it, was really pretty tough on President Trump. Yeah. Basically saying, yeah. the line I remember was, uh, you are not just President Trump, you are now just Citizen Trump. Um, so he, he's gone straightened out of the court, wants them to rule. Uh, the Supreme Court now has two hot potatoes. They heard arguments over essentially the 14th Amendment last week. They will have to rule on that. We kind of got some indication of where they might go with that. Now they've got the immunity case. So a lot of the next presidential election could be decided in the next few weeks, depending on what the Supreme Court does. Yeah, I, and I... I hate this, not because I dislike the Supreme Court, but it's almost like a, a referee making a call in the late innings of a football game, you know, that could decide the outcome of the game. You, you really don't want to see that. Um, I, I think these two cases, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but to remind people I'm not, they're a little different. I mean, the 14th Amendment case, even some of the so-called liberal justices were skeptical of that, you know, using that. Um, whereas the immunity case, it's a lot different. Uh, it's a different thing. Not that I'm saying that conservative justices will go for it, but I think it's a, it's a whole different debate that they may have. It's not, you know, I don't think one decision follows the other, is what I'm trying to say. Well, and I would agree. I, I think the immunity case to me is a no-brainer. No man is above the law, so to speak. Yeah. 
Um, but I think the 14th Amendment case, as much as I would personally like to see it succeed, I think that's a very iffy case. And, yeah. and, and, the, and the judges seem to indicate that from both sides of the aisle in yeah. the questions they asked in their hearing last week. So I, 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 don't, I think Trump will likely win on that one. That's just a guess. But I sincerely hope the courts are, the Supreme Court is wise enough to hold the line on presidential immunity. Yeah, and, and from a real politic point of view, uh, you know, if you're trying to keep the states that are trying to get them off the ballot, probably are states you wouldn't win anyway. So, right. Uh, it's, it's almost like, well, I'm not saying you don't take a case like that because it could have national implications, you know. But it's, it's to me, uh, you know, the, the second one might have the, immune, the um, no man above the law one may have a greater impact. Yeah, depending and, on the ruling. Yeah, and again, to me, that's a, that's much more of a, in my mind, a no-brainer. You, uh, I just, it, it, it's just a, to me, it's something you learn from grade school. No man is, no one, yeah. no person in this country is above the law, and that includes the president of the United States. So, well, Howard, before we, I know we're running out of time, but if you give me two more minutes, I wanted to remind you of, of things you know that uh, there's a big special election today in New York State on Long Island for the seat of. George Santos, the Republican, right, right, uh, right, in the middle, right in the middle of a big snowstorm. Snowstorm, right? You know, and of course, New York State was the big surprise. A lot of Republican House members won in what were Democratic districts. So, this test case uh, may not be so good because of the weather. The one, and, and to sort of end on, unless like, we want to continue, but to end on a somewhat more humorous note. For those who tortured themselves to watch Tucker Carlson's two and a half hour interview with Putin <laughs> last week, um, you know, they they got a treat the on. Russian history through the eyes of Putin, which reminded me so much of when I was in places like that, and you had to budget in, you know, like an hour of pre-history time before you got the interview. Yesterday, uh, the former, this is this is legitimate what I'm about to say, the former president of Mongolia, Daxia Elberdoria, he was president of Mongolia from 209 to 217. He, he posted on his Twitter page, a map of the Mongol Empire, you know, under Genghis Khan, which, of course, stretched all across Asia into Europe. And he said, after Putin's talk, I found Mongolian historic map. Don't worry. We are a peaceful and free nation. <laughs> I thought, Thank goodness there's still a little bit of humor. There's a the sense world. of humor out there someplace. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Tom, I do have to move on. Always enjoy yeah. talking to you. We'll do it again next week. Thank you very much, Thanks. sir. Appreciate it. Right, bye. 835-25 to the hour here on the Watchdog Morning Show. National correspondent, poet, and Pentagon reporter Tom Scateri every Tuesday with us here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Jeffrey Morris has pled guilty to two federal counts. He is the head of Roxby Development, or I guess the former head of Roxby Development. We'll talk to federal prosecutor Bill Elenfeld about that coming up next here on the Watchdog Morning Show. But first, we'll head to the news desk of WTRF-TV and Ohio Valley Headlines with Taylor Long. Good Tuesday morning, everyone. I'm Taylor Long with your 7 News headlines on this February the 13th. We have new details on the shooting that took place in Steubenville yesterday. Pittsburgh police have detained two male subjects linked to a vehicle in the shooting. Steubenville police say they were able to get the make, model, and license plate of the vehicle. They passed that information to other departments, and police in Pittsburgh located the vehicle and arrested the occupants. The shooting happened around 1230 yesterday at the Maryland Market in Steubenville. Officials say the juvenile victim was life-flighted from Harding Field to a Pittsburgh hospital. 
And all new this morning on Saturday around 1130, fire crews responded to a fully engulfed house fire on County Road 21. Civilians rescued one occupant from the roof before crews arrived. Both occupants were hospitalized and later transferred to Pittsburgh due to their injuries. The state fire marshal's office is now investigating. Yesterday, the woman from Belmont County found with numerous deceased and ailing dogs on her premises submitted a plea. 54-year-old Paula Metzler entered an Alford plea to five counts of felony animal cruelty in exchange for having the remaining five counts dropped. An Alford plea is one in which the defendant maintains his or her innocence but can be found guilty by the court. Rescuers say the family and the animals were living in the most deplorable conditions they ever witnessed. Metzler's sentencing is set for next month. Her daughter, Christy Metzler, is also charged. She requested and was granted a psychological evaluation before her case goes forward. And the Steubenville High School Nike Club, in partnership with the American Red Cross, is hosting its final blood drive of the school year today from 8 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. They aim to collect 30 units of blood, hoping to reach a total of 75 units for the year to secure two scholarships for seniors. The school has already collected 57 units from previous drives. That was a look at your headlines. Have a terrific Tuesday. I'm Taylor Long, working for you. The Mountaineers suffer another setback in Texas and turnovers the biggest problem for the Golden Blue. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Caridi. That story and more coming up on today's Mountaineer Report brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. With the Kroger app, shopping online with pickup and delivery is the same as shopping in-store. Same low prices, same personalized deals, same rewards on the same high-quality items like Honeycrisp apples and pasta sauce with no hidden fees or markups. It's one small click for groceries, one big win for busy families everywhere. Start your cart today at Kroger.com. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Kroger always gives you savings and rewards on top of our lower-than-low prices. And when you download the Kroger app, you can enjoy over $500 in savings every week with digital coupons. Plus, you can earn fuel points to save up to $1 per gallon at the pump. And with a Boost membership, you'll save even more with double fuel points and free delivery. So you can always save big every day with our savings and rewards. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Restrictions apply. See site for details. For the second consecutive game in Texas, West Virginia falls this time to the Frogs of TCU by a score of 81-65. to The matchup against TCU had some interesting similarities to West Virginia's loss last Saturday to the Texas Longhorns. Consider this. West Virginia, for the second consecutive game, shot exactly 50% from the field in the opening half and for the second consecutive game went into the locker room trailing by double figures. Why? Well, the simple answer is turnovers. West Virginia continues to turn the ball over at a dangerous rate. In this particular matchup against TCU, the Mountaineers turned the ball over 11 times in the first half, 19 total times in the game, and as a result, TCU outscored West Virginia in points off of turnovers 26-8. The Horned Frogs, who snapped a two-game losing streak, also had wonderful success working the ball inside, outscoring West Virginia 
44 to 18 in the lane. The Mountaineers, despite shooting 50% in the opening half, shot just 30% in the second half. They finished the game shooting just 39% from the field. On an individual note, West Virginia was led by Raekwon Battle, who scored 23 points. Quinn Slazinski finished up with 15. Kerr Carissa had 13 points. A long night for Jesse Edwards, who dealt with foul problems. He finished up the game with just six points and four rebounds. Final score, TCU 81, West Virginia 65. That is today's Mountaineer Report, brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. I'm Tony Caridi on the Mountaineer Sports Network from Learfield. How tough are you? It's the 43rd annual Budweiser Tough Man Contest. Co-sponsored by WTOV9, Eagle 107.5, Wheeling, Ohio County CBB, Thomas Auto Centers, The World Gym, Jill's Gentleman's Club, A Class Act, ICR Equipment Rental, Sales and Supply, and Honda Direct Line. Coming February 16th and 17th to Wheeling's West Banco Arena. If you think you're tough enough and willing to get in the ring and prove it, sign up to fight at WBToughman.com. Ladies, if you want to be a ring girl and strut your stuff in the ring sign up at wvtoughman.com tickets go on sale this saturday at the west banco arena box office or online at westbancoarena.com it's the 43rd annual budweiser tough man contest coming february 16th and 17th to wheeling's west banco arena planning to stay in wheeling tough man weekend the wheeling ohio county cvb is offering special hotel rates for tough man fighters ring girls and fans for details visit wvtoughman.com get your tickets today and tough it out he has his say, you can have yours. Text us or call us and join the conversation. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe, brought to you by WVU Medicine. Don't go trying some new fashion. Don't change the color of your hair. Unspoken passion Although I might not seem to care 8.42, 18 to the hour, Watchdog Morning Show underway. 30 degrees, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport, 29 at the Highlands, 32 in Elm Grove, 30 here at the Watchdog Radio Network studio. It's going to be a mostly cloudy day today. Maybe some sun mixes in a little bit later on by the mid-morning. Daytime high up to around 42 today. Sunny and high around 40 tomorrow. Could see a little bit of snow or rain coming in on Thursday. And not a bad weekend uh, as well. But as I said, 30 right now roaming just a little bit below freezing everywhere here in the upper Ohio Valley. Um, we all followed the story, what I said earlier, the rise and fall of Roxby Development Company here in the Upper Ohio Valley. Came on the scene with a big bang. They were going to, and they not, were going to, they bought the McClure, they bought the Scottish Rite building, they were talking about buying other buildings, they owned the Mount Carmel uh, Monastery, they brought in a lot of employees, they hired a lot of people, and uh, were given credit for being uh, potentially saviors of the city. And then the whole thing seemed to crumble, and maybe the whole thing was a bit of a house of cards. Federal prosecutors got involved, arrested him, indicted him, and yesterday he pled guilty. All of that is background to bringing in a federal prosecutor, Bill Elenfield. Bill, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Howard. How are you? Good. Um, let's just – I want to back up and set the stage here. What, 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 what did we – what was the what was the background of this case? What was the background of the original charges against Jeffrey Morris? Well, uh, a couple of years ago, we um, developed some information indicating that perhaps his 
real estate development company uh, was engaged in unlawful activity. We had a whistleblower who came forward and mentioned some things to us that caused us concern. And so we opened a matter and we began to, to look into the various projects that he was involved in. We began to subpoena records, uh, ultimately uh, receiving thousands of, of records, uh, emails and bank statements. And we conducted multiple interviews and talked to everyone uh, who was involved in uh, Roxby development, um, uh, really, uh, other than, than Mr. Morris himself. Uh, we we uh, did a, an investigation, ultimately determined that he was misleading these investors from uh, the Wheeling area as well as from around the country. And he promised that he was going to use the money that they invested to uh, put into places like the Scottish Rite and the McClure and the Mount Carmel Monastery and other properties in the area, when in fact he was using the money for other things. He also was employing a large number of people. He was withholding taxes from their paychecks, but then he wasn't paying the IRS those taxes that he withheld from his employees' paychecks. So we ended up with uh, over uh, $5 million in fraud, uh, that you know, money that he stole from investors, and then um, he owes a half a million dollars, uh, a little more than that, to the IRS and monies that he didn't turn over, plus interest and penalties. Essentially, I'm going to use layman's terms here, not necessarily the, the legal charges, but essentially it was defrauding investors, and also he had some tax issues. I mean, those are the kind of the big things, right? That's right. Uh, again, I don't know that those are the legal terms, but those are what we the, – the, and again, using a layman's person – uh, the whole thing, in many ways, seemed to have just basically been a scam. Yeah, I I, I would agree. And the, the numbers never added up for me uh, when I saw the kinds of money he was throwing around, the properties in which he was investing that didn't appear to be generating the kind of revenue that would justify those kinds of price tags. And as it turns out, uh, they, they didn't. And he uh, was... Um, misrepresenting what uh, kind of revenue these properties would generate. For example, uh, and, and he admitted to this yesterday in federal court, uh, he w proposed to an investor out of town that he had leases at the Scottish Rite that were generating $10,000 a month from two separate tenants who were leasing space there to operate their businesses. In fact, the opposite was true. He owed those people money. Uh, and so he was telling people that he had income at the Scottish Rite, therefore making it a good investment because there was cash flow. You know, investors want to see that you have cash flow. And he told people that he did. He forged signatures on leases, sent those via email, thereby committing wire fraud, promising that he had all this cash flow. Investors then turned around and sent him hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to rehabilitate the Scottish Rite. And, and, in fact, um, that, that was just a fraud. He, he created the leases. He forged the signatures. And, in fact, he owed those people money. They didn't owe him any money. From the description you've given here, and we've heard you talk about that before on the show, it sounds like it was intentional uh, scam, intentional fraud, if you will. But, you know, I still hear people who say things like, I think he was well-intentioned. I just don't think he was a good businessman. I think he wanted to do the right thing, just wasn't, didn't know how to do it. I mean, do you have a, how do you respond to that? How do you think, what do you think about that? Because uh, you've seen I, the numbers, I, you've seen, you've, you've had the testimony and so on. Right, I have. I, I have the benefit of seeing a lot more than, than everyone else. And, and I can understand why people might want to think that. 
there was a lot of excitement uh, when this was happening, as you said at the outset of this segment. A lot of people wanted to believe that he was going to turn this city around, that this was going to be a renaissance of sorts. And I do think there are a lot of good things happening in downtown Wheeling. It's, it's, it's taking a while, but I think, it's, I think where we're going is great. I, I don't think that what, what he was uh, proposing was, was ever going to work. And when you look at the numbers, Howard, we would see money come in from an investor uh, would go into his bank account, and and he would promise that that money was going to be used to um, do some facade work on the Scottish Rite, let's say, uh, and then it immediately would leave his bank account and go to a completely different project. So he uh, regularly misrepresented to investors uh, what he was going to do with the money they were giving to him, and he, uh, he promised that these properties were revenue generating entities when, in fact, they weren't. And uh, some of these people were pretty sophisticated, uh, and, and they still were taken. And then we had a group of people, and I mentioned this in an interview I did yesterday, those who didn't get taken by Roxby and, and Jeffrey Morse were the ones who insisted on seeing his books. Uh, there were a handful mm-hmm. of people that we talked to that uh, were interested, but they said, we need to see your books, we need to see your full accounting, before we're going to um, get into any kind of an arrangement with you. And he always put them off. He always said, I'll get them to you next week, next month. Don't worry, they're coming. I'll have them for you. And then he never he never actually produced those books. And those entities decided to remain on the sidelines uh, because they weren't satisfied that uh, his, his accounting was in good order. I suppose there's an object lesson for everybody there. Uh, don't listen to stories. Look at the numbers before you get investing in anything, whether it's downtown wheeling investment or whatever else it is uh, first of all make sure that what people are telling you is true exactly and it's easy to be uh, sucked into something like this and to be taken and to to get excited but yeah that's the lesson is to uh, always ask to look at the books and then have your own person look at those books unless you're an accountant yourself and you're you're qualified to look at those numbers um but, you know, get, get someone's uh, full accounting and then have someone that you trust take a look at them before you invest your own money into a project that's speculative uh, like this. So uh, tell me about the plea yesterday. So he pled guilty to one count of wire fraud and one count of tax fraud. He was charged with much more than that, and that's typically what happens. We'll, we'll charge uh, all, all counts uh, in anticipation of going to trial, but in federal court uh, – Convictions on multiple counts don't uh, always result in uh, an increased sentence. And so there's a little bit of confusion as to why he only pled to two counts when he was charged with more in the indictment. So uh, multiple convictions for fraud, um, uh, the the, the sentence will be driven by the amount of the fraud. And so what happened yesterday in in federal court is that he uh, admitted that he engaged in wire fraud, and specifically by sending that email that I just mentioned to you, and he agreed uh, and 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 will and must must repay uh, restitution of 5.1 million dollars. He also admitted to withholding taxes from his employees' paychecks and not um, paying it over to the IRS, and he'll be required to pay uh, a total amount of uh, over 500 thousand dollars to the IRS. Uh, the court ordered that a pre-sentence investigation report be prepared by the U.S. Probation Office, and so that process is underway. 
And once that report has been prepared, he'll come back into court uh, before Judge Bailey uh, to receive his sentence. So he pled guilty to two counts. He was originally charged with, I think, 28. My numbers may be off a little bit. What you're saying is that even if he had been gone to trial and lost on all of the accounts, it's not as if he would have gotten 19 times the sentence he could get for the two. I mean, is that what I'm understanding you're saying about federal sentencing guidelines? Uh, Yeah, generally, yes, that's correct. Now, going to trial is a little bit different because when you plead guilty, you receive credit under the guidelines for acceptance responsibility. Mm. And, and timely entering a plea. And so there's there's credit built into the system uh, for pleading guilty versus going to trial. But, but yes, um, convictions on a whole bunch of counts, convictions on 20 counts versus two counts, uh, would not result in an increased sentence. Same thing for drug trafficking. So you can sell drugs 10 times, and each of those drug crimes carries a 20-year maximum penalty. But the sentence is going to be determined by the total amount of drugs sold not the number of times you sold drugs. Same thing here. He committed fraud on multiple occasions. You know, we have all those counts in the indictment. But at the end of the day, the sentence is driven by the amount of fraud that he committed. And the amount of fraud that we can prove he committed was $5.1 million to the investors and about $260,000 to the IRS. The reason he has to pay back more than that, though, is because of interest and penalties. So that that IRS figure is is a little bit bigger in in what he has to repay, not what he necessarily failed to pay over. So what guarantee do you have he's got the money to pay? Is it $5 million? I mean, the sentence hasn't been handed down yet, so this possible could change. But maximum would be six-plus years in prison, and I think I read $5 million in uh, restitution plus about a half million you said in back taxes. Where's the money coming from? Where's the money come from? I have no guarantee that he has the money. Um, that's that's the sad part of this case, Howard, is that there's a, a good likelihood that these investors are not going to uh, get their money back. Um, but uh, we have um, put into place uh, a, a whole, whole bunch of requirements that he's going to have to follow, um, and, and and we will uh, continue to, to follow him. Um, once he serves his sentence, once he uh, and, and, and upon his release, we'll still be looking at him and any assets that he comes into going forward in his life. Um, whether we ever get that full amount um, remains to be seen, um, but there's no guarantee that we're going to get it back. I don't know what the process or procedure is in, in a plea like this. Do you? Did you talk to those whom he defrauded before you accepted the plea? Uh, w- yes, we, we talked to uh, countless victims okay. um, uh, from uh, lo- locally and, and across the country uh, about this case uh, and uh, heard their stories, got their, um, their, their figures, uh, their documents. Um, it was um, a very lengthy process, which is it, it, it took us a while to get to this point. But are you, did you talk to them about the, the plea? I mean, are they satisfied with the plea or did you ask them that question? Uh, I didn't personally ask him that question. The, the, the way this works is it's all driven by the numbers. There's um, uh, e- even if they wanted him to go to prison gotcha. for life, uh, it's it's a it's a number driven sentence uh, by the the U.S. Sentencing Commission and the guidelines that they promulgate. And so um, the number that we can prove uh, that was stolen was five point one million dollars. And there's it's it's very formulaic. There's a chart. You look at the chart. You look at his criminal uh, history category number, 
and, and you go, go across the chart and you look at that number. So there's not much we can do, even if the victims wanted him to spend substantially more time in prison. Um, I don't know how to phrase this question. You, in talking to you today and in the past, this is something that kind of, kind of was under your skin. I mean, you really felt this was the defrauding, especially some of the local investors, I think, really kind of particularly bothered you. My question is, are you satisfied with this plea? I am. Uh, it was a good day yesterday to be able to have uh, this person uh, who has taken advantage of so many people come into court and admit uh, in front of a federal judge uh, that he engaged in this fraud. Uh, so, yes, I am satisfied. Uh, we uh, had uh, tremendous uh, work done by our FBI agent and our IRS criminal investigator, and they, they pulled together a, a really uh, top-notch investigation. So I'm satisfied with it. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm not happy about is the fact that these investors are out this money, mm-hmm. and they may never get it back. And I, I can't uh, snap my fingers and make that happen. All I can do, though, is to continue to follow Jeffrey Morris along with uh, the asset uh, recovery team in my office and at, Maine, at the Department of Justice and follow him wherever he goes. Um, and and um, and collect every penny that we can from him so that we can return it to these investors. So we're not going anywhere. We're going to continue to 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 follow him until we collect as much as we possibly can. So that's the only thing that causes me um, to be less than satisfied is that um, it, it's there's a lot of money that that people are missing, and we we can't just give it right back to them. Jeffrey Morris was the head of Roxby Development, but it was a company. I assume that you do not believe any other people in the company were involved, that he takes sole responsibility for this? That's right. We we looked at all of those angles and uh, determined that he was the uh, mastermind and he was the only person who has uh, criminal responsibility here. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, and again, sadly, some of his employees um, went without paychecks. Many yeah. of them went without paychecks. And then some of them even put their own money into this to help see projects through to the end because they believed in him. Uh, and he promised that he would pay them back. And so not only did they not get paid, they, they also uh, didn't have their investments returned. And uh, that's, that's also a sad part of what he did to so many people. That is a good point. Uh, there were a couple of maybe multiple number of relatively large investors, but there were smaller investments made even by some of their employees. I mean, a lot of people were, were got, got caught up in this, uh, not just the guys and gals who gave big money, but some smaller money as well. Yes, and uh, in, in addition to that, they weren't able to – pay their bills. This was their job. They, they couldn't pay their rent. They, they couldn't make their utility payments because they were counting on him to pay them, and, and he didn't. And, and you know, they, they've always, obviously moved on, uh, but that was a very hard time for a lot of people who weren't major investors but still had a lot vested in Jeffrey Morris and Roxby Development only to be taken advantage of. Bill, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for the work on this. This is something that had been bothering me for years and long before you brought the indictments, and now I'm glad to see it uh, come to some resolution. And I appreciate uh, appreciate the work you did, but I also appreciate the time uh, here on the radio show. Thanks so much. Thanks, Howard. Take care. All right. Uh, federal Prosecutor Bill, uh, almost a Bill Kalabash, I always want to say that, Bill Elenfeld, uh, checking in with us here on the Watchdog Morning Show. It's 9 o'clock, and ABC's covering the world next. 
Wait.